0: Hey, Juan and all of our church family, Juan, especially you, I wanna thank you for leading us in worship and the rest of you, Table Church, San Francisco, just thank you. We're very grateful that you're joining us again for another worship gathering. And as you're coming and as I'm coming and we're all coming in together here in worship, perhaps we've all had a similar week asking uh, bigger questions and we wanna have answers to these questions that we're asking. A lot of us are asking questions, how do I face A a world of injustice? How do I face uh, troubles with peace? And how do I face grief and loss without it killing you? Or perhaps how do I face success without it going to my head or making me hungry for even more and more success? And as we come to answer those questions, uh, we're looking at Psalm 95 today. And Psalm 95 says that worship is the answer. Yeah, you might be thinking, what? Worship is the answer. That's right, Psalm 95 is one of the classic texts in the Bible that uh, talks to us about worship. And so today we're going to be uh, learning a-, a lot about worship, but uh, primarily three things. That worship is worship, worship is communal, and then worship is rest. So let me read this text for us. I invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Psalm 95 and as you and I try to navigate through the news, as we try to navigate through different successes, through different troubles and different sufferings and grief that each of us and all of us are all going through, this Psalm, Psalm 95, is, is inviting us to, to, to come and worship God. So let me invite you to turn to Psalm 95. This is in a set of uh, sermons and talks here that we're giving through the book of Psalm. And so Psalm 95 reads, O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into his presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test and put me to the proof, though they had seen my work, for 40 years I loathed that generation and said, they are a people who go astray in their hearts and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Why don't we just take a moment right now as we're coming. Some of us are very weary Uh, As we're coming into this time of worship, others of us uh, perhaps are just merely going off of adrenaline, and uh, others of us really are looking for hope, looking for assurance, and looking to be shaped by worshiping uh, this great God, this this King of all kings. And so why don't we just pray that God would shape our hearts and give us true rest uh, as we come together in worship. Let's pray. Father, we do pray that you would give us your rest. We are weary. We are so tired. Perhaps we're tired of the news. We're sick and tired of the injustice. We we, we look to you today in worship to to make all things right and to restore all things. So give us that rest. Uh, Help us see your worth-ship as we come together in worship we're praying all this in the name of Jesus, the King of kings. Amen. Well, let's look at, first of all, here that worship is worth-ship. Yeah, the old English word uh, worth-worthiness or worth is where we get the English word worship. Uh, and so in a nutshell, God is worth more than all else. And when we say that God is worth more, in worship, uh, we are we are not giving God his worth. God already has worth. God is worthy and is of greater worth than all else. But worship is essentially an act of attributing this worth, ascribing this worth to something that engages your entire being. That's right. So for the psalmist here, for David in the psalmist, as he's describing this worship, this worth-ship, is it's going to involve uh, him emotionally, willfully, and rationally? Uh, yeah, it, it involves your entire being. And so, yeah, as we're talking about coming into worship, we're not talking about some sort of habit that you just that, that you just do just because it's maybe Sunday morning, uh, or some ho hum little practice that you do. But but there is a sense in which you and I are coming into the presence of the Almighty God, the King of all kings, the God of gods, and we are being reminded of God's worthiness, that this God is worthy of all of our affections. So for David, he's he's worshiping God. There, there's, an, there's an emotional aspect to this in verse 1, that he's called to worship God, and we're called to worship God with our emotions. Verse 1 says that there's there's singing, there's making a joyful noise. And yes, that's a lot of times what I know that I do is I'm gathering into worship, especially when I feel like I'm trying to sing. And recently these days in shelter in place, I'm singing here on my couch with uh, the rest of my family members. And uh, it's, feels like I'm definitely making a joyful noise. But to shout joyfully, to shout joyfully. It's this singing. There is an emotional aspect to me and to us that's being engaged with. Your emotions truly are ascribing worthiness to this God that we're worshiping. Verse six, that the will is involved in this worship. That We're called to worship God with our will. It says to bow down. It says to kneel. There's an element of Willful submission there in humility that we're invited and that we're called to come and worship God in. And then rationally, verse 8, rationally, we're called to worship God with our reason. Verse 8 talks about hearing his voice. That, That involves thinking and reasoning. And so if you just go to some ritual or you experience some ritual without ever experiencing some ravishing joy, Uh, it's not truly worship. Perhaps you've been a part of an experience like that. Or if you just go into a service and you experience some emotional experience, but uh, it doesn't produce changing character, you don't really experience any life change from that, that too isn't truly worship. Yeah, you may be having some aesthetic experience. You may be having an emotional experience or even an intellectual experience, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's worship. Worship engages the entire being as you ascribe worthiness to this God among all other gods, and that changes your life. It changes your worldview. It changes your perspective. See, notice what the psalmist is doing here. He's ascribing worth to God verses 1 and 2 he says he's going to sing and shout verse 3 for God is great he's a great king above all gods verse 6 he says come let us bow down and kneel verse 7 he says for he's our God and our shepherd see notice what David the psalmist is doing he's taking inventory that's what happening for you and for me as you and i are coming into worship is you begin to take inventory of who this God really is. Perhaps earlier this week, as you were going about your week or maybe going about your to-do list, a sense of worship and worthiness of God over, over, overcome, you were overcome with this because you were just struck by the worthiness of who God is. That's because you were taking an inventory of who this God is. So imagine a woman who's inherited a piece of jewelry. And as you're imagining this, and as I've, as I've been thinking about this, imagine that this woman really uh, doesn't know exactly where this piece of jewelry came from, and she certainly doesn't know its worth. There are different times where she'll find this piece of jewelry, and then she'll lose it again, and wipe the dust off of it, and maybe appreciate it for just a moment in time, but then forget all about it, and go about other things but all of a sudden, she starts wondering, I wonder what the true value and worth is of this piece of jewelry. And so she takes it to a very accomplished, very skillful jeweler. And the jeweler, uh, like no one else, who has all the special tools of being able to see exactly uh, what its worth really is, begins to examine this jewel. And all of a sudden, the, the jeweler gets super, super excited. The, the jeweler can you know can hardly breathe. He's just filled with so much excitement and begins to tell the woman this wonderful news that, hey, you won't believe it, but this is, this is some ancient piece of jewelry and its worth is worth more than everything else uh, in my store. It, it, is, it is worth millions. And so it's all of a sudden that once the woman begins to understand. the the worth of this piece of jewelry, does she begin to treat it differently? See, before she just, maybe she could live with it or without it or she would lose it from time to time. But once she begins to realize its true value and its true worth, she begins to treat it differently. You see, the same thing is true for us in worship and as we relate to God. There's a way in which people can say, oh, I believe in God, but yet truly be distant in that relationship with God because we're not giving God or ascribing to God God's true worth and God's value. God's perhaps not the most important thing to us. And see, the psalmist is calling us to do what the jeweler did. That's what worship is. It's to see God for who God really is. To see God's worth and value and how incomparable God's worth is in comparison to everything else, every other experience that we've ever had. About this time, as you're looking through the Psalms, or you're looking through Psalm 95, you start asking the question, why? Why should we worship? I mean, if that's what worship is, worship why should we do it? And I think the answer is, we're all worshipers. <laughs> yeah, the question is not, are you a worshiper? I think the answer is we are all worshipers. We're all looking to different things and ascribing worth and value to different things already. That's just who we are. We've been made in that way to enjoy those things, find pleasure in different experiences. Think about singing. It's something so biologically, even emotionally and psychologically natural to any of us and we end up singing about something that we prize or something that we are attributing value and worth to. You see the world is not divided between those who worship and those who don't. The world is divided into people who worship things that will distort your life and those who worship the only proper objects who will actually restore your life. Verse 3 the psalmist, as he's worshiping, he says, the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. The psalmist is teaching us that he's not just worshiping the sea God or the land God or the animal God, etc. The worship is, is recognizing that your heart has already ascribed worth to something, such as money or relationships, happiness, success, and so, when we talk about worship being worth ship, it's really an invitation to transfer what it is that we're giving worth to. That's the big call and the big invitation today in this song to you and to me. It's an invitation to transfer what you ascribe worth to and value to. San Franciscans, we typically say, well, you know, I'm not too religious, but. Everyone is everyone is a worshiper in their own way, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. If you'll even remember with me right now, as I'm thinking about the, the Harry Potter series, yeah, the great story of Harry Potter, where he is in this room, this almost this secret room, and he he notices this mirror, and in this mirror, as he looks in this mirror, Harry Potter sees his parents. And, he, and he's filled with such joy as he sees his parents. And then Harry Potter invites, as you remember the story, Harry Potter invites uh, Ron Weasley, his, his best friend, to come and look in the mirror also. And, and Harry Potter thinks that Ron Weasley will see the same thing that Harry Potter saw in the mirror. But Ron Weasley sees something different. Ron Weasley sees himself as a great athlete, a great sports star. And the reason why they saw something different in that mirror is because this is the mirror of desire. This, this mirror reveals what it is that we desire the most. And so Harry Potter's mentor uh, explains to him that, that every person has a desire. And so that is what makes us all true worshipers. We all desire something, we all ascribe worth and value. To something. We all say things like, if I had success, if I had knowledge, or if I had romance, or maybe it's wealth or skill, and then I would know that I have true meaning. Then I would know that I have true worth and value. And that's why a lot of times we're freaked out when those things are, are threatened. Or we feel like they're going to be taken away from us. We we feel threatened. And so the Lord of your life is the thing that you value the most. It's the thing that you attribute worth to the most. And so for a Christian, it's God's love. It's God and God's love that's more satisfying than all else. That's what it means to attribute worth to God, is to to look to God in a way that you don't look to sex or relationships or money or career It's not living for achievement because the God of achievement will hate you even if you don't achieve. It's not living for love and romance. And that's because that God won't ever truly accept you. That God won't truly ever love you and accept you. But this Lord, yeah, this Lord in verse three where he says, the great God, the king above all gods, is the only God who died for you and who forgives you. See, God is the only God worth. This God, this God of the scriptures, this Jesus Christ, he alone is the only God worthy of all worship. So this week, I want you to think about a reflection question. What is God worth to you? Not what do you know about God, but what is God truly worth worth to you. Second thing we learn about worship here in our passage is that worship is communal. Yeah, we all need community. We were made for community. Life, worship wasn't meant to be done alone. You were made for worship, but you were also made for community eight times here in seven verses. Notice it's all in the plural. Plural. It's beautifully written here how David writes this Psalm 95. Let us sing. Let us shout. Let us come with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise. Let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel. God is our God. We are God's people. So yeah, we've been encouraging all of you uh, here this summer to get in the scriptures, get in the Psalm, the book of Psalm read the scriptures, begin to memorize the scriptures, pray the scriptures, and of course, worship is done alone. Of course, you are carving out time and and wanting to ascribe worthiness to God in, in your own time alone with God, but individual worship is a preparation for group worship. It's a preparation for the communal party of worship when we all gather together for worship do do you think of your personal worship in that way yes it is time alone with god that you're enjoying but it's also preparation preparation so that whenever we the corporate that is the communal body of christ the family of christ the church Yeah, the Table Church San Francisco that whenever we gather together for worship, we are here as a community, as a family. See, this goes against our our, our modern Western mindset, Uh, not just dropping in every now and then, not just, hey, I'm just gonna go listen to a a, a sermon from this website, and and I'll go over here and get a little fellowship from, from here, and then next month I'll check back in again. No, this is a continual Rhythmic, gathering together because we are truly community. We're truly called into this worship experience together. Preferably a smaller community. Preferably a smaller worshiping community where where we can truly get to know each other. And truly we can get to know the God that we're worshiping together. And perhaps the more diverse the community is, the more ethnically diverse, the more socially diverse our backgrounds and and all of the diversity that's there, perhaps because of the diversity, we, we get to understand God in ways that perhaps we wouldn't have been able to see and understand God. I'm grateful. I'm grateful for each of you I'm grateful for our church family. I'm grateful for the gift of community that I learned so much about who this God is through you. That's part of our being together is to experience this God together in community and that we're shaped together. We're being shaped not just by my own individual unique vision of who God is nor yours but it's the it, it is the The story of the scriptures that shape us together. Does the psalmist say here, I think of God as a shepherd? You know, I just like to think of God in that way because it just kind of feels good. No, David doesn't choose to think of God just in that random sort of way, but he's thinking of God in that way because the scriptures reveal God as that way. Yeah, he, he's, he's quoting some of the prophets who spoke on behalf of God that, that you and I are, are shaped by how God is revealing himself to this community. As San Franciscans, once again, like to say things like, I'd, I'd like to be a part of community. I'd like to be part of truth, but I'm more interested in designing my own understanding of who God is that suits me. Of course, you can choose that route but here's a couple of results if you choose that route. It, it's, it's sort of an a la carte cardboard cutout of a God who will never argue with you, who will never go against your own will, who will always let you have your way, even if your way becomes destructive to yourself or dehumanizing to others. That's one of the results of creating and manufacturing and beginning to worship any God of our own imagination compared with the God in the scriptures. Another result is that right there, you've you've just isolated yourself. You're not truly experiencing community. You're experiencing God and some God that you've come up with yourself, your own unique understanding of God. But see, when, for example, when I submit to the scriptures and I'm calling to mind a dear woman, a dear friend that I met in Thailand when I lived there years ago, that uh, me and some friends, we were walking through one of the rural villages there on the countryside of Thailand. And as we were walking about and talking to some of those people in that little neighborhood, we met a, an old woman who was a Christian. And even though our gender was different, and even though we spoke different languages, and even though our economic status and our backgrounds were so different, the, the wonderful thing that she and I could experience together was worship. We both could worship this God of the scriptures, that we had unity together. We had beautiful fellowship and, and moments there, there together, just there in that village. We looked so different. But we had wonderful fellowship together and unity together because of this Worship and this being drawn into true community together, worshiping the King of all kings, this Jesus Christ who is Lord and King. Lastly, today we're looking at, at worship is rest. Wow, don't you and I need rest right now? We need rest, and I don't mean just a nap taking a nap today or or hoping you get a certain number of hours of sleep tonight. But I I truly mean that the things going on in our world are are, are truly exhausting. The stress, the anxiety, the the, the hope, the dreams, the loss, the suffering, all of what you and I are going through and what our world is going through, we, we are truly exhausted. And some vacation, some fun experience some great meal, some anecdotal little things that we can do for rest may be good, but a deep sense of sustainable rest is what's promised to us in worship. See, that's because in worship, as we're learning to rest in God, it's truly letting, letting God take control, allowing and, and looking to God for this rest. As you look at the end of this psalm, verses 8 through 11, why would the psalmist end the psalm on what looks like a downer? Right, I mean, as we were reading the beginning of the psalm, it it, it seems very upbeat, singing, praising, and bowing down and worshiping the king of all kings and ascribing worthiness to this God. And then it seems to end like a downer, looking at verses 8 through 11. Why would the psalm end in such a way? Well, remember that God says, you know what happened in the wilderness. You know what happened in the deserts. The Israelites were on their way to the promised land and there they were restless, homeless, grumbling. They were looking for that rest. And that first generation that came out of Egypt, that first generation, they were so stubborn. They were so stubborn and unwilling to listen to me, God says, that they died in the wilderness. And it wasn't until the second generation that got to experience my Sabbath rest. Now, why would a psalm end like this? Look at verse eight with me. It says, don't harden your hearts as you did at Meribah and Massa." These two word, word uh, place names here, Meribah and Massa, mean dispute and testing <laughs> which sums up the sour and skeptical spirit of Israel on that desert journey. Hebrews chapter 4 makes a big deal about why this psalm ends in this way. And in a nutshell, there's a warning to worshipers not to miss the rest that God provides. And in Christ, we're not offered some physical promised land, but in Christ we're offered ultimate rest. Yeah, we're, we're offered rest from the crushing burden of self-salvation that comes from effort and performance. That's the rest that he's pointing to here in Psalm 95. That's the rest that's being pointed to in Hebrews 4. See, religion, all other religions, and trying to be good, and, and all of that says, if I, live a God, if, I, if I live a good life, God will bless me. God must bless me. But notice the subtlety there of religion, that you're working, you're working, you're working, you're working for it, you're working for it. It's so tiring. Hoping that you've worked hard enough for it. That if I pray really well, if if I come to church often enough, if if I if 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 I just that work, 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 so exhausting worship will be, will be one more load weighing you down if that's the way that view, you view God. That, that you won't be serving God, you'll be, you'll be serving a God of morality, serving the rules that you feel like you have to keep. You'll, you'll be looking to yourself to fulfill those rules instead of looking to God in worship, seeing God's worthiness and that changing you from the inside out to live a changed life. Or you'll be trying to attain some sort of level of popularity or coolness or savviness or working hard enough for career that, that then you'll know that you're somebody so so that then you can feel worthy. And yet listen to how exhausting or try to live that life for a day or a week or imagine a decade or decades of that, you realize how exhausted you are and others around us truly are. See, Christianity says just the opposite than that. The good news, the gospel, rest. Christianity says just the opposite, that the gospel ends all of this tiring work. There truly is rest. When Jesus says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. See, gospel rest truly is that that God gives me a record that I don't deserve. Gospel rest is that Jesus Christ, representing God and all of God's perfection, lived a perfect life in my place and gives me a record of righteousness And that I can rest in what Christ has already accomplished. Gospel rest is that he already loves you. He already accepts you. Rest in him. That's what this rest is all about. This is what worship truly is. I'm not looking to my career to give me a sense of worth or rest. I'm not looking to relationships to find that in those relationships. I'm looking to God. To find that. So in, in conclusion it's it's calming. worship is very calming. Oh yeah, we admit how, how awful things really are right now in our world. Yes, we lament as we've been looking at some of the other psalms. there is lament, there's grief, there's suffering, there's racial injustice going on. yet true worship calms the believer. It truly gives you and I rest as we ascribe worth to God. That that if I belong to this great king above all gods, I'm his and he's mine, and nothing can separate me or you from that God. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen in this upcoming surgery. I don't know what's going to happen if I lose my job. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But what I know is that someday all evil, all suffering will be undone. It'll be reversed. All of it will, will be restored in such a miraculous, mysterious, beautiful way as if it never happened. There's true rest. that's not only coming, But a rest that you and I can experience right now. How do we face trouble with peace? Remember these questions that we started out with today. How how do we face troubles with peace? How, How do we face a world of injustice? How do we face grief, suffering, and loss? Or how do we face success without it going to our head or wanting more success? The answer is in worship. Ascribing worth, greater worth to this king of all kings. Greater worth to this king than everything else in your life. Worship is worthiness. Worship is done in community. Be in community, link up with someone this week for prayer, for worship together. And remember that God is, Christ really is our rest. Take a break from the news. Take a break. Find Sabbath rest in Christ and what Christ has accomplished already on your behalf. Why don't we pray that right now as we rest and as we're learning to rest in Him. Let's pray. Father, how we need rest. We are so desperately in need for rest. We're weary from obeying the lusts and desires of our fears, of our drives, of our need for approval, our need for control, and we need the deep peace of soul that comes from resting in the salvation that Christ Has already accomplished for us. You are worthy. You are worthy, O Lord, of our worship. Receive our worship. Even though our, our worship doesn't always match your worthiness, receive our worship by your grace. We pray in your name, amen.